Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody. Rick Martinez in for Don Curtis at this edition of Carolina Newsmakers. We've got Mitch Kokai. He is the senior political analyst for the John Locke Foundation. And Mitch, thanks for being here. Thanks, Rick. Always happy to do it. And the John Locke Foundation basically is one of those groups that uh, argues for uh, solutions and policies that are based in free market and freedom. Did I get that right? That's right. And limited government, relying on the Constitution, rule of law, that sort of Mm -hmm. thing. Well, how's it working out? Is it you, you having much success? <laughs> and I should say that you guys uh, pretty much um, focus on state level uh, government, right? We do. If people are familiar with the Heritage Foundation or the Cato Institute, American Enterprise Institute, those are national level groups based in and around Washington D.C. that do about the same thing that we do on a state level. So Mm -hmm. we're focusing on what's going on with the General Assembly and the governor's office, the courts, to some extent, local government. But back to your initial somewhat flippant question, uh, sometimes things go well, but even when they're going well generally, you need to have watchdogs making sure Mm -hmm. that things are going right. Because even if people are uh, ideologically attuned to the notion of free markets and limited government, once people get into power, they always like to say, okay, how can I reward my friends and, and allow my buddies to, to benefit? And and that's always something you got to be on the watch out for, whoever's in charge of government. Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, I worked in state government recently for about three years uh, for Governor, Governor McCory, and basically it, it really kind of hit me that um, really about the only thing government can do is spend money, you know, and obviously they, you know, take the money and they buy vehicles and fill potholes and all that sort of things. But once you get beyond that uh, core group of services, um, everything else is just basically spending money. If you need, uh, if you want, you know, want to improve this, that's going to take money. I mean, and that's basically what you uh, keep your eye on, right? Yeah, that's true. And, you know, a lot of people talk about government spending as if it's investment. And some things that government spends money on certainly is an investment. Uh, Some of the money that's spent on education, you're investing in helping young people better themselves so they will not only reward themselves in the future, but benefit society. Mm -hmm. But a lot of what government is doing is taking money from one group and giving it to another group. Mm-hmm. Now, I think most people would probably not have a problem if most of that transfer of money, government transfer, was from the rich to the poor. I mean, mm-hmm. to the, the people who are not going to be able to fend for themselves, helping them out, I think most people, even conservatives, except perhaps some of the most arch libertarians, mm-hmm. agree you need to have a safety net, help the poor. But a lot of what we have in government transfers is taking from the young and giving to not the <laughs> old, but the older who are doing well and mm-hmm. better than the young, or yeah. taking from the working, hardworking, middle-class folks and giving it to the rich, politically connected yeah. people. Yeah. And that's one of the reasons why in politics, I think you've seen what is sort of a head-scratcher in some respects that some people who like Donald Trump for his populist message, also like Bernie Sanders or even Elizabeth Warren for their populist message, because because yeah. all of them in many ways are talking about how the little guy gets hurt by the big, connected, powerful people. And that's a lot of what government does because of the way the incentive structure in government works. 
tell us where people can find out more about the John Locke Foundation, because frankly, sometimes, you know, uh, the foundation has been pretty good to Curtis Media Group and given us your uh, expertise. Uh, Becky Gray is on uh, often and so forth. But uh, kind of like, oh, okay, here's from the John Locke Foundation. But, you know, there's a lot of people that mean it's like, John Locke, I've heard their name, but I really don't know, you know, kind of what they do. Where can people find out more about you? There are really two good sites to, to look at on the mm-hmm. web. One of them is johnlock.org. And for those who are not familiar with John Locke, who is a 17th century English philosopher, yeah. his last name is an E, so it's J-O-H-N-L-O-C-K-E dot org. That is sort of the organizational website that tells you a lot about the research that we do, uh, promotes upcoming events, that sort of thing. Then our the second website, and this is the one for people who are really interested in following the news of what's going on in government, that's carolinajournal.com. Mm-hmm. There is a monthly free print publication called Carolina Journal, and people who are interested in it can contact us and get on the, the mailing list for it. It comes out once a month, as I said, and it's free. We're happy to mail it to anyone who wants one. But in addition to the free print publication, every weekday at carolinajournal.com, we have fresh news stories, uh, commentaries, videos, uh, part of the uh, the radio program that we do. And uh, you're very familiar with that because mm-hmm. your spouse is the co-host of that program. Yeah. And uh, so there, those two sites, johnlock.org and carolinajournal.com, will get people all they need to know about us. Now, um, I know you uh, concentrate on uh, you know state-level uh, uh, politics and, uh, and uh, policies and such, but my goodness, could you make sense of this impeachment thing uh, up in Washington, D.C.? Could you just like make sense of it for everyone here? Well, I don't know that I can make sense of it. I can tell you what uh, what I, I know of it. And I think your interpretation of where things go basically depends on where you stand politically and what you think about uh, Donald Trump. Yeah, uh, Democrats have been seething about Donald Trump ever since he won the election. And in many respects, I think those who are Trump supporters and even those who aren't necessarily big Trump supporters but are lukewarm – about what he's been doing, have have basically looked at what the Democrats have been up to and said, look, they've been trying ever since the guy won the election to get him out by hook or by crook. And so they tend to look at what's going on with this impeachment idea as this is just the latest thing to try to bring down Donald Trump or to at least uh, make him lose some popularity with the people who are supporters of him. Uh, on the Democratic side, the notion is that by contacting this leader of Ukraine and asking for help in trying to get information that might damage the potential front runner in the race to unseat Donald Trump in 2016, that that is beyond the pale, that is a high crime and misdemeanor worthy of impeachment. And so that's going to be playing out. Of course, one of the reasons that, that this is of interest and is not just some marginal thing is that Democrats control the U.S. House of Representatives, and the top representative in the House, Nancy Pelosi, has, after weeks and maybe even months of saying she wasn't really interested in approaching impeachment, has put her endorsement behind this idea of having a formal impeachment inquiry. The House would have the votes, if the Democrats all stick together, to actually impeach Donald Trump. 
Then, of course, it would move to the Senate where there would be a trial, and the Senate doesn't look as if it's going to have the votes to have any sort of vote to remove President Trump because you not only would need to have uh, a majority, but you need to have a supermajority of the Senate to Mm, remove a president. Exactly. And the only other time we've had a presidential impeach – well, we've had two. Uh, the, the first time we had an impeachment trial, Andrew Johnson from Raleigh, yeah. uh, he, it was one vote short. And then when Bill Clinton was impeached and had his trial, wasn't even close on any of the articles of impeachment. Right. And if uh, for those of you who think, well, you're, you're forgetting Richard Nixon, uh, Richard Nixon had an impeachment inquiry, uh, uh, but he resigned. Before he resigned before he could actually even be impeached. impeached. Yeah. Okay. Um, I'm not going to ask you to predict the future, but... But you're going to ask me to predict. No, I'm no. going to ask you whether or not you think all of this acrimony that we've been seeing, as you said, uh, practically since day one of President Trump's inauguration, has is fundamentally changed the way the politics is being practiced on um, on basically any level. I think it has. I think that's a it's an astute observation that we've always had rancor in politics. I mean, you can look back at the earliest days of the United States government. And as soon as it wasn't George Washington, and you really had a choice between other people other than Washington, there was divide. I mean, the race in 1800 involving Thomas Jefferson and John Adams, one of the most rancorous elections ever. I think one thing that was a good sign for the United States was at that time, even though it was such a hard-fought election, the election results were accepted. John Adams didn't try to stay in office. He left. He didn't. He didn't stick around for Jefferson's inaugural. He was out of town by the time it happened. But uh, there was the peaceful transition of power, and we've always seen that in the U.S. But I think we are seeing this level of constant battle. I mean, look back even in our own lifetime. Uh, Ronald Reagan now is venerated as this great president, but at the time. He was very much vilified by mm-hmm. Democrats, but you know, there were some, still some areas of common agreement. There were, even though people didn't like Reagan, they didn't, they disliked a lot of the things he was doing. A number of Democrats would go along with Reagan on certain things. It seems that we're at the point now where if you are a Republican who looks at something that a Democrat does and says, you know, that kind of sounds like a good idea. Maybe we should explore that. You're immediately branded as a traitor or a rhino, and and yeah. and those who are the, the partisan police will want to kick you out, and vice versa. If Donald Trump's doing something or if a Republican's doing something and a Democrat says, sounds like maybe it's a good idea, something to explore, maybe I don't like exactly what he's saying, but something along that lines might work. If you're... If you even approach it that way and not just that Donald Trump is evil incarnate and we need to get rid of him, then the Democrats are going to try to drum you out of their camp. Yeah, and I guess since this is somewhat, you know, such personality-based, it kind of um, prohibits someone from saying, oh, that that's a good idea, as opposed to, well, who's saying it? Right. And that kind of determines. Our guest is Mitch Kokai. He is a senior political analyst for uh, the John Locke Foundation, and an alumni, a proud alumni of Curtis uh, Media Group, uh, spent his formative years uh, uh, back when he was uh, young and just a young pump out of UNC Chapel Hill. And in fact, we'll talk a little bit about the media when we come back. 
This is nice. I was hoping you'd like it. It's my special risk. I'm sorry, sir, but it appears as though your credit card has been declined. Did everyone hear that? This person, right here, credit card, declined. Oh. If we can please have an awkward silence the next ten seconds. Whoa, what's with the megaphone? Just trying to properly illustrate your embarrassment and humiliation to the public, sir. What? If everyone could start mumbling and shaking their heads. Nice. Ma'am, I like that, with the pointing. Mm. He's shaking like a leaf. Good job. Hey, buddy, please. I'm with a date here. Look, so I'm late on a few payments. I'll make it up next month. Promise. Mm -hmm. He promises to pay it all back next month. Can we have an aww? aww? Don't worry, Adam. It happens to everybody. This has no effect on our date whatsoever. Really? Yes, really. There just won't be another one. See ya. And she's off. Wait, come back. I have other cards. I have other restaurants. Putting more on your card than you can afford to spend can lead to even bigger problems, like public humiliation. Don't let your credit put you in a bad place. Go to controlyourcredit.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Treasury and the Ad Council. My memory is shot. My legs feel like lead. Every muscle in my body is screaming. So why does everyone think the problem is in my head? Chronic fatigue syndrome can be as isolating as it is debilitating, especially when those around you don't understand what you're going through. If you're experiencing extreme exhaustion coupled with difficulty sleeping and concentrating, body pain and flu-like symptoms, you could have chronic fatigue syndrome. But you're not alone. More than 4 million Americans suffer from CFS, and most of them don't even know they have it. Log on to www.cdc.gov CFS for the latest research and guidance on diagnosis and management. That's www.cdc.gov slash CFS. Get informed. Get diagnosed. Get help. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. This year, the North Carolina Guardian Ad Litem Program is celebrating its 25th anniversary of being a voice for children who are victims of child abuse and neglect. The Guardian Ad Litem Program provides trained, independent advocates to represent abused and neglected children in court proceedings and to help make sure they have a safe, permanent home, what every child needs. Volunteerism is the cornerstone of the Guardian Ad Litem Program, and volunteers are needed. If you have just a few hours each month to rise to the challenge and volunteer, please call 1-800-982-4041 or visit ncgal.org. Volunteer for the Guardian Ad Litem Program. Be the voice for a child. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. Welcome back to uh, Carolina Newsmakers. Uh, Rick Martinez in for uh, Don Curtis on this edition. Speaking with Mitch Kokai of the uh, John Locke Foundation, uh, you are a, a proud uh, graduate of the University of North Carolina School of Journalism and uh, Mass Communication. And uh, in fact, you have uh, got uh, high honors while you, while you were there. You've also spent... Um, a number of years in the media, um, both the radio and television, uh, right here at uh, WPTF back in the day, and also uh, WCHL, and again, a very legendary radio station uh, out at uh, Chapel Hill. So give us your impression of the national news media uh, today, and then I'll ask you about local as well. Well, it seems like the national news media today is uh, really caught up in a problem of aligning itself too closely with one ideology or the other. And, and I am distinguishing between reporters and the folks who are out there doing the talk shows. The yeah. talk shows, I, 
no one sees them as reporters, straight journalism, nor should they, because that's not what they're trying to do. They're trying to advance a particular view and a particular agenda. But even if you look beyond that to the reporters and anchors, it seems that in the national media, there's there's so much opinion that's in the reporting and that it's so biased one way or the other that people have decided, okay, if I'm a conservative, I need to watch Fox News. And even then, I might get mad because sometimes they aren't going rah-rah for, for President Trump or for the Republicans. And on the other side, if I'm a Democrat, I'm only going to watch CNN or MSNBC, and I'm never going to watch Fox because those folks are, are evil and, and want to uh, trumpet the Republicans. I think the other issue that you have is because – we have advanced beyond the time frame when we had just the, the network nightly news that had sort of a straight half-hour program of news story after news story. But now we've ventured into this era of the 24-hour news cycle when you've got talk shows, you've got news shows, and there's kind of a, a melding and mixing. And a lot of what the news shows do is have an anchor talking to a talking head who's on the left or right, it becomes harder to distinguish between the commentary and the actual news. And I, and I think that that is to the detriment of the folks who want to do news and want to try to be objective to the extent that that's possible. Do you think the uh, folks and uh, the, the leaders uh, in the uh, national news scene see that? And, you know, do, do they see it that way? And, and are we kind of uh, past the point of no return, or, or do you think it's possible one day to have some sort of uh, basic realignment? I think you could have a basic realignment, and I'm not sure that the folks who actually run these news outfits see it. Sometimes they do, and sometimes you'll get a sense that they, that they know, wait a minute, that's what we just did in this case is over the line. But in, in terms of the general way that they operate, I don't think that they see that they're hurting themselves by lining up on one side or the other. Um, you, uh, your background and your experience is in broadcast journalism, both radio and television. But do you have an opinion about the decline of uh, newspapers? And has that been just a sign of the times? Or is journalism uh, less rich because of the decline of uh, newspapers? Well, it certainly is less rich. And it this is a story that actually goes back many years. I remember sitting in a history of journalism class in the early 1990s. Mm -hmm. We're getting up upwards of 30 years ago. And at that time, they were talking about the decline of newspapers. Newspapers yeah, have, been, have been declining for a long time, but really in the last decade or maybe even the last five or six years, that decline has become more precipitous. And not only does that mean that your newspaper is – 12 or 14 or 16 pages, everything, news, sports, yeah. ads, uh, entertainment, all of it is, is short, so you have fewer stories. But it also means that the people writing the news tend to be younger and less experienced, and not to knock them at all, because they, they tend to be smart young people, yeah. but they don't have the experience, and they haven't been to the rodeo more than a few times, and so no when they're being played. I mean, I, I'll read stories in a newspaper sometimes and say, yeah, if, if this had been a reporter with 
20, 25 years of experience, they would have seen the press release that this was based on and said, yeah, I'm just being spun <laughs> rather than rather than say, oh, yeah, OK, I'm going to follow. I'm going to write exactly what they told me. And this has to be true because some government official told me it was true. Uh, it, it certainly hurts when all of your reporters tend to be young and inexperienced. And that's what you see when the, the newspaper industry is declining. I mean, look in our own area. There are so many people who just four or five years ago were writing for the big Raleigh paper who have now and gone, Charlotte paper and Charlotte well. paper. Yeah. yeah. And, 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 and we remember when they were competitors. That's right. And yeah. so they were, if you were looking at a big story in North Carolina news, the Raleigh news and observer and the Charlotte observer were competing. And that competition led to better coverage. Now it's the same outfit. And oftentimes just one person will be working for the two papers and it might be a person who only has four or five years' experience. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and that's true. And the other thing, too, is, is that, uh, and, I, and I'd like your thoughts on this, is that another uh, dilemma that um, newspapers are finding is, is that some of the better-paying jobs are actually in, in public relations, particularly government public relations. So you, it's not unusual to see uh, a really good, experienced reporter end up well i'll just you know, give you an example patrick gannon of I was course just thinking was a, the same thing when you said you know that. was a fabulous uh, reporter uh, fair fair and, and uh and uh, excellent good writer and got the facts and so forth and uh, reported on state government and now he's working for the ele uh, state elections board mm -hmm. and pretty much says all right this is when the meetings are yeah. you know and um you know again that's kind of just a so do you have any thoughts on that yeah, I mean, it, you're right that, that because the newspaper industry is in decline, it makes it so that people who are well qualified will be looking for these other jobs. I think another thing that we haven't yet mentioned that's important is you, you mentioned the fact that I worked in radio and TV news. And there's a lot of reporting that's done in radio and TV news. But frankly, also TV news and to some extent radio news get a lot of their news from newspapers. Right. So if the newspaper mm -hmm, sure. isn't cranking out really high-quality material, that has a ripple effect throughout the rest of the media. You know, you're in a unique position with the John Locke Foundation because the, the John Locke Foundation has a radio show. It has um, uh, does a lot of – you can get a lot of news on the various blogs and um, that you have. And then you have a digital product with carolinajournal.org, uh, right? Dot com. Uh, dot com, yeah. sorry. Yeah. And then you actually put out a, a print um, 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 product, Carolina Journal, once a month that you were talking about earlier. Is there a difference in approach or and in, in reporting, or is it all a matter of formatting? It's primarily formatting. Now, one of the things that's a, that, that we benefit from that the – standard newspapers that we've been talking about don't is that we rely on our donors. Mm -hmm. So we're not having to chase the advertising dollars. Yeah. We kind of know what we're going to have uh, available to us. But um, also, uh, although we can help fill some gaps as the traditional news media are cutting back on their coverage of news, we couldn't be a replacement for what was the, the standard norm 10, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. We're never going to be to the point where we're go going to be the equivalent of 
10 reporters down there at the General Assembly competing with each other for the best stories. At most, we're going to have two or three people at one time covering what's going on with the General Assembly, and we're going to be competing with ourselves, which is not the same thing. Mm -hmm. Interesting. All right, let's uh, talk a little bit of uh, policy. Uh, we don't have a state budget, and the world has not ended, and things are, are seem to be going along fine. And outside of uh, dueling news conferences, you know, it, uh, is seriously since you you know you're the policy guy, does it really matter that we don't have a state budget? The short answer is no. And the reason that this is true is the General Assembly had some good foresight a couple of years ago to pass a law that said if there was no new budget on July 1st at the beginning of a new budget year, the old budget provisions would remain in effect. So as long as that law remains in place, we're never going to have to worry about the thing that you hear about occasionally at the federal level and that we used to hear about at the state level that at come June 30th, if there was no budget in place, we might have some sort of government shutdown. You'd mm -hmm. have to close offices. People would have to uh, stay home and not be able to work, not collect their paychecks. Uh, I think that was a, a great decision on the part of the General Assembly to, to take that sort of political gamesmanship out of the budget. And you reference the fact that the world is continuing to turn. Most people don't even notice it because pretty much everything has gone on as it normally uh, would. Now, we should also point out that in addition to not having a permanent new $24 billion general fund budget for the budget year that started July 1st, there have been some mini budgets, standalone budgets, piecemeal budgets. Explain, That's the term explain what a mini budget is. Those budgets, and there have been several of them passed and signed into law by Governor Cooper, deal with specific provisions that were in the budget that he vetoed mm -hmm. uh, to remind folks who haven't been following this that closely. And if you don't, I don't blame you. Mm -hmm. I mean, if, if it were my job, I would probably only pay a little bit of attention to it. But the General Assembly approved a budget. Governor Cooper vetoed that budget. There were a number of reasons, but the, the main reasons appear to be, one, that the budget did not include expansion of the Medicaid program, which was a top priority for Governor Cooper. Also, uh, the, he wanted a larger pay raise for his teachers in public schools. The General Assembly approved a, a substantial pay raise. Governor Cooper wanted an even larger one. And then also, this has sort of gotten the, the short shrift in this debate, but there was a, a bone of contention about whether school construction in North Carolina should proceed with a statewide school bond, which is what Governor Cooper wanted, or with this use of something called the State Capital and Infrastructure Fund, which the General Assembly preferred, in which they would take uh, money that was already in the budget and devote about 4% of it to school construction needs so you wouldn't have to borrow new money from sort school of a pay bond. pay-as-you-go type Pay-as-you-go plan, exactly. Mm -hmm. And the idea was as you pay down the debt, that the state has, more money would be available for the construction in years ahead. And they spelled out a 10-year program of how you could go about uh, dealing with some of these projects that would be similar to the type of program you'd come up with a bond. So they were very similar. One would continue spending the same amount that we do and borrow more through the bond. The General Assembly's plan, in contrast, would say, no, we're not going to borrow any more money. We're just going to reprioritize and spend some of the money that we already are spending on school construction. So 
the governor had had his veto, and then the General Assembly tried to override the veto uh, for weeks and weeks and weeks, had no success, and then in a very controversial move, the state house, without many Democrats present, voted to override the veto, and now the Senate may at some point in the not-too-distant future vote to override the veto. But in the meantime, uh, these mini-budgets have come along, and they have dealt with specific provisions that seem to have unanimous or near-unanimous support. Big pay raises for state employees, not including teachers, but other state employees, highway patrol, uh, ALE, uh, funding for things like testing rape kits and and, uh, school safety, things that had general widespread support. Those have been passed so that the provisions in the budget that do have widespread support could go forward even as these other contentious items continue. Well, we've been uh, speaking with Mitch Kokai. Mitch, thanks so much for coming in and uh, sharing your expertise with our listeners. We appreciate it very much. Well, thanks for having me, Rick. Always happy to do it. And uh, be here next week when uh, Don Curtis will show up for work for change and uh, host uh, Carolina Newsmakers. Have a good week, everyone. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.